Well, good evening, everyone. Grace and peace. It is uh, good to see you. My name is uh, Steve Brooks. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, usually I have my uh, colleague, uh, Kurt Borden, uh, with me. Uh, he is not with us tonight, and he sends you, send you his uh, regrets. He is uh, being dad tonight. Uh, Jason is not doing well, and uh, Lisa's had some extra stress at work, and so he's being uh, dad and husband tonight. And if y'all could pray for them, uh, we would really appreciate it. Also, uh, Pastor Melissa, as you know, that Brent's just uh, newly come off of being declared free from cancer. Yay, hooray. That's such good news, but uh, he had a little bit of a setback today, and uh, he's got pneumonia, and so he is in the hospital and probably will be there for a few days. And so um, be in prayer for Brent as well. And then your old pastor's got this old ugly thing on his foot. It's like we're the, 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 the limping pastoral staff. But we will not give up, right? We will persevere and keep moving forward. So uh, thank you all for your prayers. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Um, also, another news with our staff, uh, Mara Dolan, um, who is our director of children's ministry. She is in uh, Lubbock today. You know, ro- her son, Rob, uh, 10-year-old son Rob has cancer, and uh, you know they've got nine series of chemo that he will go through, and he started his second one today, and so it's the first of the the first of the series is always the toughest. So uh, they'll be hopefully be home tomorrow uh, after spending one night in the hospital. So we can also keep them in our prayers as well. So I uh, want y'all to for those of y'all who heard the sermon on Sunday, uh, we. Uh, we preached a sermon, Pastor Kurt and I did, at the end of Genesis chapter 4, and our whole theme was uh, what it means to call on the name of the Lord. And as I was pondering that, pondering Ezekiel, really that is what uh, God is trying to do for Ezekiel. He is trying to use Ezekiel to reach the exiles in Babylon so that they can authentically call on the name of the Lord again. And we talked about there's three things. I mean, it's one thing for us to say, God, help, when we are desperate. But that's not what calling on the name of the Lord really is. To call on the name of the Lord, we have to have three things going. There's got to be a true sense of humility in our hearts. There's got to be this newfound faith in the nature and character of God. And there's got to be this sense of, okay, Now we are moving forward together in a renewed way, a renewed purpose, and we together. It's like when we walk into a room, like when we're calling on the name of the Lord and we walk into the room, it's like Jesus is by our shoulder and he winks at us and he says, let's go in the room together. Let's be the light. That's what happens when we call on the name of the Lord. And that's what Ezekiel is trying to get the the exiles to do. And so I thought what I thought I would do today in, in that spirit is to have us pray through Psalm 116. And just notice those three, three things that are present in Psalm 116. And maybe Psalm 116 is something that you can pray for, pray through, as you want to authentically call on the name of the Lord. So let's pray. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. 
I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Well, oh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 21. Uh, that is where we are going to pick up today. And uh, I thought it would be a good idea just to take a deep breath and to kind of remind you of the timeline that we are dealing with uh, in the book of Ezekiel. I created a slide uh, with some dates on it just to kind of catch us, to remind us where we're at. And so if you'll remember in 597 uh, BC, BC, that is when the first, that's when the Babylonians came into uh, Jerusalem and into Judea, and that is when they gathered up the best of the best. So like uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Ezekiel, and took them to Babylon. There was still a, they, they took the king, Jehoiakim, and they took him, they, they took him with them uh, to Babylon, right? And they installed a new king in his place, and his name was Zedekiah. That's right, Zedekiah. And so that happened in 597. So five years later is when Ezekiel is by a river or a stream or a mud pit in Babylon, and that is when God shows up. The initial vision at the beginning of the book is five years later in 592. In 590, that is when Zedekiah, oh, in 592, five years later after the deportation. So they've been there for five years. So Zedekiah is back in Jerusalem, and he begins this covert rebellion. He had made a promise to Nebuchadnezzar. He had made a promise to the Babylonians that he would remain loyal to them. And then he starts hatching covertly this plan with the Egyptians. <laughs> I mean, this is bad, right? I mean, all, all of Israel's arch enemies. And then you go back to Egypt and to, to get into an alliance with them. And this never works. It never, never does what Zedekiah thinks it's going to do. But two years after the covert rebellion begins, it's just all out overt rebellion against the Babylonians. 
And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay. And so just one year later, Nebuchadnezzar, Neb for short, he uh, goes to Riblah, which is in present-day Syria. So it's way in the north, like north of the Sea of Galilee, way up there. And he sets up his camp. And it is from there, it is from there that he is going to launch uh, the uh, siege of Jerusalem. And we'll see that here in, in just a minute. So the siege begins a year later in 588 B.C. And 18 months later in 586, the wall is breached. Jerusalem is completely destroyed. And so we'll kind of go back uh, to this timeline, uh, about a 10 to 11 year timeline that we're dealing with throughout the book. And um, really, it's five years in before Ezekiel um, gets this vision from God. And the people are given this opportunity to hear, you know, what their desire was more than anything was to get back to Jerusalem, to get back home. God said, whoa, 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 you are not ready to go back home. And you don't want to go back home anyway because this is what is going to happen to the people that stayed back. And we'll get more into that tonight. Does anybody have any questions about the timeline? Make sense? All right. Chapter 21, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. See how personal this is? Son of man, set your face against Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuary. So not just the city, but whenever he says the sanctuary there, he is saying the temple. So everything that the temple represent, represented, it had become corrupt. Prophesy against the land of Israel. So it just kind of gets Jerusalem, the sanctuary, and now the whole land of Israel, which really at this time just included uh, the southern part of Jerusalem um, proper, in the, uh, Jerusalem and Judea in the south. And say to her, this is what the Lord says, I am against you. I will draw my sword from its sheath and cut off from you both the righteous and the wicked, because I'm going to cut off the righteous and the wicked, my sword will be unsheathed against everyone from south to north. Then all, the, all people will know that I and the Lord have drawn my sword from its sheath. It will not return again. How are you feeling? That should cause you to say, wait a second. The righteous and the wicked? Boy, if you look back to uh, uh, Ezekiel 9, uh, chapter, chapter 9, verses 4 and 6, or chapter 14, verses 12 through 20, there it seems as if that God is going to spare the righteous. So which is it, God? Are you gonna, that's, that's the kind of God we want to serve, right? The one who looks out upon people and he judges them and then the ones who are uh, trusting in the goodness of the Lord, we want God to spare them, right? Yeah. But here, it seems as if they are lumped in with the wicked. What's going on here? Well, 
uh, this raises some questions, and it should raise a lot of questions. Uh, does anybody know the word theodicy? It's a big word, and um, I, I want to teach it to you because I think it's an important word. We've got a slide up here about theodicy. A theodicy literally means the vindication of God. And the main thing that people that, that study theodicy and that talk about theodicy, the main question that they deal with is how can a good God allow the presence of evil in the world? Or another, another thing that, another question of theodicy is how do, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? And those things, they connect with us. Right? Because we are seeking to walk in the ways of Jesus. And it seems as if we are not immune to difficult things. I mean, you could probably start listing the last, just think about the last couple of years. Start listing the difficult things that you have gone through in your life. And maybe you were able to handle them better because you were walking in the ways of Jesus. But it did not immune you from them. Right? So what gives God? What is going on? I wonder if you know who this guy is. Y'all know who he is? That is, that is uh, Arthur Ashe. Arthur Ashe was a tennis player. Uh, he won uh, first African American uh, to win uh, to win at Wimbledon. Uh, he won three, three, y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I think he won Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and uh, the French Open. I think the Australian Open was the only one that he, he did not win. And uh, this guy, oh, man, he had deep, deep Christian faith. His mom died of a heart attack when she was 27 years old. Hmm. Like, just when things are starting to get going, you know, 27, she dies of a heart attack. Well, this very hereditary thing that was rampant in their family, and he had to have heart surgery, quadruple bypass, when he was very young. And it was in the process of that heart surgery that he had to have a blood transfusion, and he contracted HIV uh, through that blood transfusion. Like... He was committed to Jesus, committed to helping people, and committing to helping people uh, and doing it the right way, right? And then, wham, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do the righteous suffer the same fate as the uh, wicked here in Jerusalem? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that this thing called choice, Pastor Kurt is so good about constantly reminding us that, that day in and day out, the most important thing that we can do in our life with God is to make choices that honor him. But you see, we can make all the right choices, but the people around us can make the negative choices bad choices and we suffer the collateral damage from it what's God to do is God to take all of our freedom away from us limit our freedom by not allowing us choices is that an option that any of us want no 
Because then we wouldn't be in a loving relationship with God. We would be like robots. And you can't love a robot. And so what, 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 we're, what we're seeing here is that there are some righteous people left in Judea and Jerusalem. But it is very likely, as God is going to use the Babylonians as an instrument of his wrath, that they will get caught up in the crossfire. And as hard as that is for us to accept, it is a reality, right? We, if we're going to die, right, we want to die for a righteous cause, right? Not because God is bringing judgment against the wicked, but nonetheless, that is what's going on here. What do you think? How are you feeling now? What are your questions? I mean, these questions of theodicy are so important for us to wrestle with. Because out there in the world, there are many people that refuse to follow Jesus or refuse to trust their life over to the goodness of God because bad things have happened to them in their past and they believe that God was not there. Right? Yes, author. Hold on, author. We got somebody bringing a microphone to you. Everybody needs to hear your question. I was wondering, uh, did those doctors check that blood that he got a transfuse from? If he had the, the, you know, got that disease or something like yeah. that, did they check it? You know, so that was early on when when AIDS was making its way onto the scene. It was early on, and it was just not something that they did now. But because of that, now it is tested all the time, right? And so. Great question. Anything else? The Odyssey questions. Pam. So is this another thing against the concept of the rapture? That God's not going to take the good out? <laughs> that's a great, that's a great thought. Yeah. No, yeah. I have tried to do do a good job with this. the The way the rapture has taught has been taught for the last hundred and fifty years, especially in the uh, the evangelical church, is just not biblical. Like when you read those stories in um, in Matthew, and you hear that there will be two wom- women grinding wheat, one is taken and one is left. Who do you assume is the good one? No, no, the one that is left, because biblically speaking, the one that is taken is the one that is taken into exile. And so you've got, you've got to keep the, the biblical theme, right, in the flood. Who, who is spared and who is taken? Noah is, is, is allowed to remain in the ark, and everyone else washed away, Right? And so here, here these people are, they're, they're there together, and, uh, you know, it, it just seems like everybody's going to be completely wiped out. They're not going to all be wiped out, because at the, in chapter 
uh, where is it? Let's see. Chapter 33, there's going to be somebody that comes from Jerusalem to tell them it's all over. It's all been destroyed. So there, there is some uh, hyperbole in this. But what, what the point that God is trying to make in here, there is going to be collateral damage to this. Anything else before we move forward? The one that was taken. It's backwards, I know, but that's how the, the it just gets, all, when you don't read things in context, we get all backwards. Yeah. Do you want to get taken away or do you want to stay home? <laughs> Let's move on, team. All right. So one of, one of our struggles is, is God allowing the Babylonians to do this or is God doing this himself? Well, God's pretty clear. He's doing this. And if we, ta- if we re- remember back from a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the curse in Genesis, don't, don't disconnect these things. What is the purpose of the curse in Genesis? It is to create hardship so that the people will cry out to God again. It's to give space for difficulty so that people will say, I can't do this by myself. God, where are you? God, help. Right? That's what's going on here. Remember, this is not for the people in Jerusalem. Rather, this is for the people that have been exiled already to Babylon. That is who Ezekiel is telling this story to. All right. Verse 6. Therefore groan, son of man, groan before them. The exiles in Babylon is the them. Groan before them with a broken heart and bitter grief. And when they ask you, why are you groaning? You shall say, because of the news that is coming, every heart will melt with fear and every hand go limp. Every spirit will become faint and every leg will wet with urine. It is coming. It will surely take place, declares the sovereign Lord. Their hope is they will make it back to Judea and to Jerusalem with everything intact. Then life will be good again. I've learned my lesson. I promise God, I don't want this anymore. Just get us back. And what God, no, no, no. You got to hit rock bottom. And what's going to help you hit rock bottom is you have depended upon. That's what you have, have derived your value, meaning, and significance in your life from. It's got to be all taken away. Verse 8. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, this is what the Lord says. So now we're just going to move into this section here where God is getting ready, getting ready, uh, getting his sword ready. Um, this preparation for battle, you might say. 
does it in a very poetic way. A sword, a sword, sharpened and polished. Sharpened for the slaughter. Polished to flash like lightning. Hmm. So you really want to go back to that? Um, just back up just to the end of verse 7 again. It will surely take place, declares the sovereign Lord. Like when we talk about the return of Christ, do you believe that it will happen in our lifetime? No, no. Good. But I think deep down we're like, eh, probably not. Surely it won't happen in our day. Well, that is certainly, and we should, of course, the Scripture teaches that we need to always be, be ready for that, that moment because it's going to come like a thief. But certainly what was going on here was like, surely all of this that you're talking, it's not going to happen in our lifetime, right? You're just stirring up trouble. That's what prophets do is they stir up trouble. No, it is going to happen quick. Middle of verse 10. Shall we rejoice in the scepter of my royal son? The royal son they're talking about there is Zedekiah. The sword despises every such stick. The sword is appointed to be polished, to be grasped with the hand. It is sharpened and polished, made ready for the hand of the slayer. Cry out and wail, son of man, for it is against my people. It is against all the princes of Israel. They are thrown to the sword along with my people. Therefore, beat your breast. So Babylon and uh, Jerusalem over here and Judea over here, Babylon over here. Ezekiel's talking to this group over here, telling him that this is what's going to happen to this group of people over here. And as a result that this is going to happen over here, what are they to do? And what is beating of the breast representative of in Scripture? Repentance. You rip your clothes, you beat your breast, and you put ashes on your head. Those are all symbols, whether they're together or an individual thing, those are all symbols of hmm, what this is telling me is something needs to change. Who is to blame for the predicament that the Israelites are in? The Israelites. Because they were worshiping idols. And why do you worship an idol? You worship an idol because you don't believe that God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithful. That's why you worship an idol. An idol is anything like we understand, like idols back in the day here, uh, you know, that they represented Baal and Asherah, uh, the, the gods of the nations around Israel. And they like, well, God's not coming through for us. Well, maybe they will. What do we say that God is not coming through us? So maybe X will. An idol for us is anything that we derive our value, meaning, significance, and security from other than God. That is an idol. 
in any sin that we commit, any act of rebellion against God, it always boils down to a lack of trust in those five things. God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithful. I mean, think about the last time you sinned. And where was the failure of relationship with those relative to those five things? Therefore, he says, to beat your breast, it is time to change the way that you are thinking and to repent. Any questions before we move forward? Verse 13 is interesting. It's really challenging Hebrew. It's hard to translate it. Um, but we're going to do the best that we can. Um, mine says, testing will surely come. And what if even the scepter, maybe you have, what do you have there? Maybe your rod. And what if even the, let's just go ahead and add in the word, instead of scepter, rod. With which the sword despises does not continue, declares the Lord. What does it mean if the rod does not continue? I think that is the question that the... Uh, the, the verse is trying to get us to wrestle with. Uh, another way to translate that word testing is discipline. So kind of let's just change those word out, words out. Discipline will surely come. And what if even the rod, which the sword despises, does not continue? What does the sword want to do? Just think about it. What does a sword want to do? What is the purpose of the sword? To kill, right? You might can say that it could be to deter, maybe. But in essence, the purpose of the sword is to kill. Well, what is the purpose of the rod, biblically? To discipline, right? I mean, we know these, we know these verses. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 24. I think we got it up on the, we got it on the screen. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now we can have a, a long conversation of what the purpose of the rod is. Is it to beat their sheep or is it to guide their sheep? Well, it could be a little bit of both, but I think primarily the purpose of the, the rod is to guide and to direct and to lead, right? This is all rooted in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, let's just read verses 18 through 21. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son, so this is like on the individual level, and what's going on in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel is this corporate rebellion. The whole nation uh, has rebelled against God through, through idol worship, through child sacrifice, and through breaking Sabbath, right? Basically saying, I've got to keep driving or we're not going to survive. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and his mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him. All right, so the parents are at work trying to guide and to direct their children. They're working hard at it. Are you with me, parents? 
Like this is not for the faint of heart, right? Being a parent, man, you get into this, it's like you better get ready. Your children will expose your, your patience. They will expose your capacities to love, and it will just all get stretched. Like your boundaries of your love will just get stretched and stretched and stretched. And you work and you work and you work. Well, in Israel, there was a limit to how long you did it. If they will not listen to them when they discipline him, go on. His father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Now, <laughs> you love your children, right? It would probably take a long time before you would take them to the elders, right? But that's what God is tapping into here. You, you see, this, this, uh, this rebellious spirit, this assumption that they knew better than God. They knew better, they knew what was better for them more than God. To worship idols, to, to burn their children, to break the Sabbath. That's kind of what's at stake here. Um, that you know, it's actually going to destroy you. And God is going to give them over. And that's what, that's what Paul really channels in the letter to the Romans is that God, you know, this is a, a, a uh, um, just an example of the wrath of God. And we talk about the wrath of God, and none of us are really comfortable with it. But what is the purpose of the wrath of God? The purpose of the wrath of God is to give us the opportunity to, to beat our breast, to repent of thinking that we know what is better and to renew our trust in those five things. All right. Questions on that? God is disciplining these people with the purpose of them changing. So then, Son of Man, verse 14, prophesy and strike your hand together let the sword strike twice, even three times. It is a sword for slaughter, a sword for great slaughter, closing in on them from every side, so that their hearts may melt with fear and the fallen be many. I have stationed the sword for slaughter at all their gates. Look, it is forged to strike like lightning. It is to be grasped for slaughter. Slash to the right, you sword, then to the left. Wherever your blade is turned, I too will strike my hands together, and my wrath will subside. I, the Lord, have spoken. Especially at this point in the book, from the beginning all the way here, and we're finally getting to the midway point of the book, it's just like you just have to like strain to find the words of hope. 
But here is one. I too will strike my hands together and my wrath will, there will come an end to the wrath of God. All right. Verse 18. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, mark out two roads for the sword of the king of Babylon to take. Let's go back to the date slide. All right. In 589 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar sets up his camp at Riblah, there's going to be two routes that, uh, that the uh, Babylonian army is going to have an option to take. It's going to be able to go to the, towards the east, towards uh, the Ammonites. Ammon is right to the east and a little bit north of Jerusalem across the Jordan Valley. So if you just think about where the Jordan Valley is on the map of Israel, you know, you've got the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. That is the Jordan Valley. So Riblah is right above those. So they're going to be able to go this way and... Nebuchadnezzar's got to make up his mind. Who do I want to go deal with first? Because what has happened is Nebuchadnezzar's like, dang it, I made a treaty with these pe people, and they have broken their treaty. Man, I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm going to go wipe everyone out. So not only does he have to go wipe out the Israelites in Judea and Jerusalem, but he's also got to go wipe out the Ammonites. So what's he going to do first? That's the question. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, mark out two roads for the sword of the king of Babylon to take, both starting from the same country, Syria in the north. Make a signpost where the road branches off to the city. Mark out one road for the sword to come against Rabbah of the Ammonites and another against Judah. And fortified Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon will stop at the fork in the road. So as these people are listening to this, what are they hoping for? They're hoping that he's going to choose to go to Ammonites, right? Remember the Ammonites, like, been a pain in Israel's side ever since they left Egypt. Uh, like Exodus time ago, Right? For the king of Babylon will stop at the fork in the road, at the junction of the two roads, to seek an omen. He will cast lots with arrows. Uh, like modern day, he's going to draw straws. Which, which arrow is he going to pick out of the quiver that's the shortest? All right. He's going to cast lots with arrows. He will consult his idols, like things made of gold and silver and wood. And what does yours say? Examine the liver. Mmm. Um, evidently, as I poked around to, to see what was going on with this examining of the liver, uh, evidently, uh, whenever he would consult the idol, he would make a sacrifice of some sort uh, to the idol. And uh, he would look inside of the animal and uh, maybe according to how the liver looked, what color the, the liver was, or there's some signal that would have given him a sense if he, if he were to go right and left. 
So that's what examining the liver is. It's all, this is all a way for him to seek discernment from the gods, right? He thinks that he's in control. Nebuchadnezzar does. But who's in really in control? God is. And that's the point that Ezekiel is, is being made to here. Into his right hand will come the lot for Jerusalem. There you go. And where he is set, set up battering rams, where he is to set up battering rams, to give the command to slaughter, to sound the battle cry, to set up uh, battering rams against the gates, to build a ramp, and to erect siege works. It will seem like a, here it is again, a false omen to those who have sworn allegiance to him. But he will remind them of their guilt and take them captive. So there's going to be people that are going to be blindsided by this um, because they don't know everything that's going on with, with Zedekiah and what Zedekiah is doing. All they know is that they have made a treaty. The nation has made a treaty with the Babylonians, and now the Babylonians are about to come and wipe them out, and they're like saying, what's the way? Whoa, hold on. I thought we were friends. They're not going to believe uh, what is going to happen. And so uh, the way that the Babylonians choose to uh, take the city is through a siege. They don't attack it. They don't try to go over the walls. But just for 18 months, nothing comes in, nothing goes out. Everyone is starving to death, dying of thirst. Delightful, right? Remember back at the beginning of the book when... um, Ezekiel was told to make a model of the city. Uh, He was told to uh, lay on his side for how many months? 18 months and cook his food over what? Poop. To get them ready for what Nebuchadnezzar was going to do. Now, if you were told that was what was going to happen to your favorite place in the whole world, would you still want to go back to your favorite place? Most people would, because most people would refuse to believe what the prophet was saying. I'm getting tired of Ezekiel. I mean, right? Because it just like goes on and on and on. And I do believe that there is a purpose for us, but we are just not accustomed to dealing with how long it takes for things to sink in. In essence, Israel had spent their entire history rebelling against God. It's really, like I said last week, Kurt and I have a little bit of a disagreement on this. Um, I really believe that the whole Old Testament is intended to read like a tragedy. That they have all of this possibility and all of this opportunity to put their lot in with the God of Israel, and they refuse to trust. And that's really like the question that it leaves with us with, in what arenas in our life do we just flat out refuse to trust God with that? Any questions before we keep going? Verse 24, 
Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you people have brought to mind your guilt by your open rebellion, revealing your sins in all that you do. Because you have done this, you will be taken captive. That should cause you to pull to the edge of your seat. I thought they were all going to get killed. So you got to really dig for these words of grace, right? And that is definitely a line of grace in this whole, whole bit. Verse 25, you profane and wicked prince of Israel, Zedekiah, whose day has come, whose time of punishment has reached its climax. Uh, remember what they do to Zedekiah? They put him, they, they bring him and his sons together. They murder his sons in front of him. Then they gouge at his eyes and they take him to Jerusalem, or take him to Babylon. Yay. That's where the, that's this, that's the word that Ezekiel is given here. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Take off the turban, remove the crown. It will not be as it was. And that is worth underlining. How many times in our life with God, how many times in our struggle with hardship, do we say, God, I just wish it was like it used to be? How many of us would like to go back to February of 2020? And maybe even, let's say, November of 2019 before COVID ever, ever left China, right? Or was ever, ever, ever happened. It will not be as it was. We get lured into the, to the lie that the best is behind us. And what the God of Israel says, the one who sent his only son, is it's actually the best is always yet to come. That's hope, right? The best is always before us. Yeah, in order to truly live our lives in light of that truth, that the best is yet to come, it takes a movement of our heart to receive that. And it's called humility. That's kind of the first step when we call on the name of the Lord, it always involves a movement downward to a new start, to a new flat place, right? It's what our friends in recovery call hitting what? Rock bottom. That's just not for people in recovery, brothers and sisters. Rock bottom is for all of us. It will not be as it was. The lowly, remember from the sermon last week, what does Seth's name mean? Low foundation, right? The lowly will be exalted, and the exalted will be brought low. A ruin, a ruin. I will make it a ruin. The crown, again, talking about uh, Zedekiah who was very arrogant and just made all of these assumptions that were completely wrong, the crown will not be restored. 
Now you need to start get, you need to get your hope marker out again. The crown will not be restored until he to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. To him I will give it to give it. Pastor Kurt has made this point. In many ways, the book of Ezekiel gets us ready for the coming of the Messiah. That the, that the Davidic kings completely lose their way. Zedekiah is the last of the lot. And you know what happens to him. The crown is taken away, it's all, but it will be given to another. And the crown is given to Jesus. Right? Verse 28. And you, son of man, prophesy and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says about the Ammonites. Now, this gives us a little bit of a, of a clue about what's fixing to happen. If you look, uh, look at the map here, our road map, we're still here. We're still here in chapters 12 through 24. But what is going to happen in chapters 24, or excuse me, 25 through 32, is that God is going to turn his attention from pronouncing judgment on Israel, and he is going to turn to pronounce his judgment upon the nations. And then this uh, judgment on the Ammonites here is giving, a, giving us a preview of coming attractions. And part of us wants to say, yeah, God, go get, those, go get uh, our enemies. Go get uh, those who are around us. But you've got to remember, Israel was called to be faithful. Why? To be a light to the nations. And so it could be that the nations are being judged because Israel did not do their job. Ponder this, brothers and sisters. Whenever you get discouraged and you see something on the news or you read something in the newspaper about something that is happening in our city and you say something like, I cannot believe that somebody would act like that. Could it be? That it is because we have not taken the time to be the light to them. And that, that we, we, should, we should learn to change our perspective and not shake our fist at the people who, are, who we perceive as being the problem. But instead cry out to God, God, how can I be a light in this situation? I heard this, and um, I'm not sure... Uh, if it's still going to happen, but I heard it, that coming up in October, that there is going to be a protest outside the hospital against our healthcare community. And that is what I said, yes. Because it's their fault that people are sick. Their fault people are dying. Hmm. And I'll just be honest with you, I get really angry when I hear something like that. But if that, if that does come to pass, how can we be the light to those people who are angry and who are lashing out? Lord, have mercy. Have anybody else heard that? Have you heard it? So I'm not making it up? Yeah. I'm not going to say. I don't want to. I don't want to stir up any any more trouble. It's just I don't have the I don't have the details of it all, so I'm not going to say. Uh, but uh, 
If we read about it, if we hear about it, uh, you know, we don't have to agree with decisions that the hospital has made or, or, or the, the powers that be in our city have made in the middle of a pandemic. But by golly, I do believe that they're doing the best they can. How would you do given a once-in-a-lifetime crisis? It would be really hard, right? And so uh, I, try to, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? There needs to be space for, for, for robust dialogue over these issues, but my goodness, to lash out against people who are just trying to feed their families, that are just trying to do the best they can. How do we be the light in all of these situations? It's definitely something to ponder. A sword, a sword, drawn for the slaughter, polished to consume and to flash like lightning. Despite false visions concerning you and lying divinations about you, it will be laid on the necks of the wicked who are to be slain. He's talking about the Ammonites here. Because the Ammonites, they're, they're going to be laughing. The Ammonites and the Edomites, they, they, they just jeer whenever Israel goes down. And uh, they will receive punishment for that. Let the sword return to its sheath, verse 30. Whew. Let the sword return to its sheath. I thought it said earlier that the sword was never going to return to its sheath. Didn't it say that? Yeah. But now, see, this is, how, this is how God works, right? God's wrath and God's, it, it will end. Let the sword return to its sheath. In the place where you were created in the land of your ancestry, I will judge you. I will pour out my wrath on you and breathe out my fiery anger against you. I will deliver you into the hands of brutal men, men skilled in destruction. You will be fuel for the fire. Your blood will be shed in your land, and you will be remembered no more. For I, the Lord, have spoken. And as brutal as this whole chapter has been, it's kind of right in the middle. When the chest is being beaten, that is the purpose of, of all of this for the people that, that are in Babylon already. It is to invite them to wake up, to accept the reality that at home things are going to be more than awful, but they have the opportunity to turn their hearts back to God. Questions? Anything? Hold on, Brenda. Nate's coming. Okay. Not a question. But is that not why God completely every day reminds us keep your eyes on me, not your circumstances mm -hmm. that Amen. And we need to do this every day through prayer from the time we wake up, close our eyes up. Amen. And it has been so true for me and my family for the last 19 years. Amen. Thank you, Brenda.
Yeah. Question. Like, it's like a, just ponder. It's a pon- fact. Yeah. Yes. Ponder it for a second. How long does it take you? How long does it take you? Or what kind of circumstances cause you to lose your healthy fear of God? Yeah. You got to be careful because it can happen really fast. Really fast. I want us to end by praying a prayer together. Uh, we've got it up on the screen here. I began our time together tonight trying to make a connection to the end of Genesis chapter 4. Um, there is a, at the end of Genesis chapter 4, with the birth of Seth, there's the possibility of a new start, a new foundation. With the birth of his son Enosh, it's this Enosh means weak man. It is through our weakness and our willingness to lay ourselves on that new foundation through what Genesis says at the end of Genesis for calling on the name of the Lord that keeps us what Brenda was talking about, that keeps us centered on God, on our life together, our covenant relationship, and the purpose that we have to reflect his goodness out into the world. That is our calling. And so this is a prayer that I've written, and uh, it's hopeful that this would be a prayer that the, that the exiles in Babylon would have prayed after chapter 21. But good grief, they still got like seven chapters to go, right? May it not take us seven more chapters, or seven more years, or seven more months, or seven more weeks. But may this be the regular disposition of our hearts. Let's pray it together. Father God, in all humility, we call upon your name. We indeed are poor and needy. We confess that we often try to cover our weakness with a veneer of our own accomplishments, reputations, and possessions. Help us to hit rock bottom. And as you lift us up with you, may we not only trust your goodness, may you consume us so that we may be in you for the world. Father, we call upon your name. And everyone said, Amen. Good night, brothers and sisters. Much love to you. say